information this morning. We are going to continue our series. If you're joining us online this morning, thanks for joining us. We're in week three of a series that we started a few weeks ago called Who Is This? Who is this? Um, looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark and the number of times that as Jesus was ministering, the Gospel of Mark, we talked about this in week one of the series. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It was the one probably written earliest of all the Gospels, the account and the life of Jesus Christ. Mark really is one where this Gospel of Mark is really one where it's like action-packed in, in, in that Mark really just wanted to get to the highlights of all the action things that Jesus did. You know, Matthew and Luke and John, there's a lot more times where it's like, what did Jesus teach and all that he was doing? Mark is like, and you notice it as you read through it, and I would love to have you read through the Gospel of Mark over the next few weeks as we head towards Easter, but so many times it's like, and then we went here, and then Jesus did this, and then immediately we went here. It's like, boom, 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 all the way through. We are going to be in uh, Mark chapter 8, 9, and 10 today. Just a, uh, one kind of idea that weaves throughout those three chapters. As we, and the main idea of the series is this. Jesus, as he ministers, as he speaks, as he teaches and performs miracles, so often when people would encounter Jesus, their response was, wait, who is this? This is not what we were expecting, or this is not like anything else we've experienced before. So if you're here week one, I'll do a little recap for you. Week one, we talked about the first thing that people noticed about Jesus was his authority. Like he would teach, he went into the temple right away as he started ministering. And it says in the gospel of Mark that they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. They're like, we've never seen this before. And then he starts casting out evil spirits and they're like, whoa, he even had like, who is this? He even has authority over the spirits. And then the disciples are in the boat and there's a storm and Jesus has authority over the storm. And the disciples again are like, whoa, who, who is this guy? Like, where, who are we with here? Because we've never seen anything like this. Last week, we talked about how Jesus was a rule breaker and how that speaks closely to my heart as a, as a rule breaker myself. Um, he did not do what the religious leaders thought he should do what the people thought a religious leader should do. And that was another instance where people would look at that and be like, wait, we've never seen anything like this. So those first two things, the authority and the rule breaker, um, I noticed this week as I was studying, it would, it would have been the Pharisees mostly who were opposed to those things, the religious people, but the disciples and the people, they loved that aspect of Jesus. He's a rule breaker. He is like authority. He's casting out evil spirits. Like, yes, they love that. The disciples looked at Jesus like, yes, who is this? This is awesome. We love this. The third one, the thing that we're going to talk about today, it was the disciples, the followers of Jesus that had a hard time, not just a hard time agreeing with what Jesus was saying, but a hard time even comprehending what Jesus was saying, because this was such a different thing for what they thought a Messiah or a rabbi or a teacher could be. They would look at Jesus as he was teaching and be like, wait, what are you? I don't get it. And we're going to get into this story in a little bit. So we're going to talk uh, starting in verse Mar or Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to start. There's a story each in Mark 8, 9, and 10 that we're going to highlight. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along and the, the words will be up on the screen. The scripture verses will be on the screen. So we're going to start with this in Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 30. I'm going to read those verses. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been killed. So some thought, you know, some people are looking at Jesus saying, well, this is John the Baptist come back to life. Others say Elijah. 
and still others, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them, but who, well, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, this is a moment in the Gospel of Mark where he doesn't get too wordy here. Other Gospels, this same story goes on when Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. This was a big moment of faith declaration. Jesus didn't come in right from day one and say, and wear the I am the Messiah t-shirt, like, look at me, everybody, Messiah, right here. He kind of let people discover that. It wasn't until the very end in front of the religious rulers. I mean, there was times throughout the way, but he did not go around broadcasting that he was the son of God. And so for Peter to make this declaration, this was a big moment. And the other gospels go on at that moment after Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. We know who you are. Jesus says to Peter, this is well done, Peter. You did not think of this with the wisdom of man, but this was revealed to you by God the Father. In other words, you got it right. You got it right. And then Jesus goes on to tell Peter, and on that faith, on your, on your life, we're going to build this church. That's where, the, that's where that verse comes in. Upon this rock, Peter, your life, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is a big faith moment. This is awesome. The first declaration that Jesus, you are the Messiah. Okay. And then what happens? This is where the disciples start getting a little bit confused. What happens next? In verse 31, he, Jesus, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. This is right after this, that this declaration of faith. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. I bet those were fighting words back then. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Okay, so we had great faith moment. Like, yes, Peter got it right. Declaration of the Messiah on this rock. I'm going to build my church to get behind me, Satan. To Jesus saying, I'm going to be persecuted and arrested and killed and crucified, and Peter cannot understand it, okay? So this is a moment, Peter, when he grabs Jesus and pulls him aside and rebukes him, he's, he's, I don't think Peter's being arrogant in that moment. I think what Peter is doing is what all of us would have been doing in that moment. We now have just had this moment where it's been revealed to us that Jesus truly is the Son of God, the Messiah. And what that means for us is we're with the guy who's gonna win. We're with the guy who's going to make his kingdom known, and he's going to throw off oppression of Rome, and there's going to be victory, and we're going to be famous, and he is going to be like the, the center of our nation, the Lord over all of us, and, and we're with him. This is like a big moment. And so for Jesus then to go, oh, by the way, and what that means is I'm going to lay down my life and be crucified, and, uh, and Peter just can't comprehend it. So he pulls Jesus aside, and he's like, Jesus, you're not getting what this Messiah thing means, right? He's not being arrogant. I think he's just saying, no, 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 no. We just said that you're the Messiah and you said you're right. So what that means is glory and power and authority and the devotion of an entire nation and victory. Jesus, it means you win. This is with a moment. Jesus, it means you win. You can do whatever you want. You're the Messiah. We know what this means. You win and you can push your enemies around and it means that people serve you. 
It does not mean humility and service and laying your life down. Humility, Peter would have been saying to Jesus, Jesus, humility is for losers, right? Humility is for the losers. You're the Messiah. You win. This is the contradiction that Peter can't get. Jesus has revealed he's the Messiah, and yet he's going to lay down and humble himself and give his life. And that is something that they can't get. That's the moment they're like, whoa, whoa, who is this? No, you don't get what it means to be the Messiah. Next chapter. So that's kind of the first instance of that. And throughout these stories I'm going to read is this contradiction, which you will pick up, is this moment where Jesus is exalted and glorified as the Messiah. And yet he keeps talking about humility and service and dying and crucifixion. And the disciples both get you know annoyed and they just can't fathom why Jesus is doing this. Chapter 9, we're going to move ahead to chapter 9. This is uh, chapter 9, verse 2 through 7. This is the transfiguration. So I'm going to read uh, verse 2 through 7 of chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Like, this is a pretty substantial moment. And then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son with whom I love. Listen to him. Okay, again. Another big, huge moment for Peter, James, and John. On this mountain, seeing Jesus transfigured really just means seeing Jesus kind of changed into showing the true glory of who he is, the Son of God, the presence of God. He's shining white, like heavenly state. And if you're the disciples, you're like, whoa, like, yes, this doesn't happen with other people, right? We're following the right guy. And then all of a sudden, he sees Mo- they see Moses and Elijah, heroes of the Jewish faith, heroes of our faith, reading through the Old Testament. This is huge. And Peter, not really knowing what to say, is like, we should set up like altars of remembrance for all of these people. And what I, what I love about this is that the voice of heaven, the voice of God comes down, says, this is my son. Listen to him. I think what's hidden in that moment is Jesus is not one of the greats like Elijah and Moses Jesus doesn't deserve one of the altars or one of the tents of remembrance, just like Elijah and Moses. What God is doing in that moment is saying, Jesus is it. This is my son. What I take from that story is we can make our faith about a lot of things. Well, I'm going to follow this tradition or I kind of like this. And at the heart of it, the the, the voice of God comes in and says, it is about Jesus. Greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. In that moment, that that moment of transfiguration, the disciples who are there are like, whoa, big faith-building moment, the centrality of Jesus, the voice of heaven coming down and saying, this is my son, again, a glorified Jesus moment. And then what happens right after that? Again, the disciples must have been going crazy. Verse 30 of chapter 9, they left that place And passed through Galilee, Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, again, right after the transfiguration, big glory, Messiah moment, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the disciples are like, what? 
why does he keep talking about that? They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. And then get this. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. And they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had been argued about, they were arguing about who was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So there's so many parts to that verse there. I love that that moment where he's beginning again. After the transfiguration, he's saying the son of man is here to lay down his life to be a servant of all, to be killed, to give his life for many. And it says right there, the disciples didn't know what he meant. The disciples couldn't even grasp it. It's ever been in a moment where you're trying to explain something to your kids and you think you're speaking clearly and they're looking at you like, I don't know. I need you to clean your room. Wait, what? I don't know what that means. You know, they're looking at you like, I wish they were speaking. I wish we were speaking the same language. This is the moment where the disciples are listening to Jesus talk about giving his life. And they can't grasp it. Because again, they're, th- they're thinking, we just saw him transfigured glory. This is my son moment. And all of a sudden again, he's like talking about giving his life. And they're really thinking, he's got to mean something else. Maybe a little metaphor about something. Like maybe he's, you know, going to take a nap and rest up before he takes over. That must be what he means. And then it goes on to say that the disciples, while this was going on, while Jesus is talking about laying down his life, they're arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest. Which of them is going to be the greatest? Because Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to take over the kingdom. And we're like the inside men. We're like the guys that are going to be at his right and left. And it's total human nature in that moment. Like, well, there's 12 of us, but I think I'm, I should be like one first in the 12. And I, I think I should be like elevated above the rest of you. I'm going to be kind of his right hand man. And they're arguing about this while Jesus is talking about laying down his life, which is why he then follows it up with anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and be the servant of all. This is what Jesus is trying to get into the disciples, trying to get this this thing that's such a contradiction to them, this thing that causes them to be like, wait, who is this? We've never heard anyone talk like this. Every other rabbi has talked about conquering and victory, and he's talking about dying and humility and serving. Why is he talking about being arrested? That's not going to happen. That's not what happens to the Son of God. The Messiah, Son of God, does not get arrested. He pushes people around. Glory does not mean suffering and serving. And suffering and serving does not mean glory. This is what the disciples are thinking. Okay, we're going to jump ahead one more chapter, chapter 10. Again, another story of this contradiction. Chapter 10 of Mark, verse 32. Again, Jesus with his disciples. And in the header of my Bible, it says Jesus predicts his death a third time. I imagine at that moment, Jesus is like, okay, we're going to go through this one more time. I'm going to speak slowly for those in the back so you can hear what I'm saying. For disciples 10, 11, and 12, you in the back, the ones we can never remember their name. I'm going to say this a third time. Verse 32 of chapter 10. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. 
Then James and John, two of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, they said, we want you to do something. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do, we, what do you want for me to do? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in glory. And Jesus, this had to be like a, a face, you know, moment, face palm moment. Like, I cannot believe. This is the third time I'm explaining this to you. That glory does not mean take over conquering victory. I'm going to lay down my life. And you're arguing about who gets to sit at my right and my left. And they're not talking about heaven. They're talking about when you take over. We want to be your right hand and your left hand. James and John are saying, we want to be, you know, you're number one. We want to be two and three, right? We want to be silver and bronze because that's still good. People will notice us. This is where their thoughts is. Again, they can't understand this contradiction between glory of the Messiah and suffering and dying. And so this is where Jesus really gets to the heart of the matter. Verse 41 of Mark chapter 10. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Obviously, they understand James and John are vying for like the left and right position. They want to be important. We don't like them because we want to be important. So there's this conflict out of, you know, everyone trying to elevate themselves. This is what the disciples are doing. Uh, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you see kind of how often Jesus is trying to communicate this to his disciples? And it's also happening in all of these big moments where he is exalted and glorified. The declaration, you're the Messiah, a, a huge following. People are getting like really excited about what Jesus is going to do. The transfiguration, all of these things. Yet weaved in between all of these things is Jesus saying, it's not about being first. It's not about conquering. It is about serving, humility, laying your life down for others. They cannot grasp it. But Jesus here is setting up a new paradigm. They're not, the disciples aren't, I mean, apparently they're a little slow because it takes Jesus a few times for them to understand that. But I don't think they're being like rebellious. They just have never thought about leadership in this way. They've never thought about your place in a society in this way. It was all about clamoring for more attention, more authority. The society was all about, I need to elevate myself so that I can be over people and then push other people around. Imagine what it would be like living in a world where people were clamoring to get above other people so they could exert their authority over them. Imagine, just think about that. What would that be like? Jesus is setting a new paradigm here. He says to the disciples, guys, you're thinking like earthly leaders. Earthly leaders think greatness means lording authority over others. Earthly leaders are looking to gain power, to elevate yourself above. And when you do that, you can exploit others. You can be served because you are the one with power. And then what does Jesus say to his followers? Not so with you. The world is thinking like this, but you don't think like this. As my followers, you don't think about things like the world does. So Jesus is speaking to his followers. And anytime Jesus speaks to his disciples or his followers, we here in 2021, we say, well, that's for us. 
Jesus is talking to his followers, and that's you and me. The world we live in is all about exerting authority over, right? We know this, and uh, I was thinking just in terms of politically speaking, now your view on this is going to be different depending on who you wanted to win this last election, but the way it goes is the people who win the election are like, yeah, we won, so we get to kind of do whatever we want for four years. That's kind of how it works. And the people who lost the election are like, no, we got to work together and be a team, right? That always happens. And then in four years, if it flips, then the people who are all about working together are like, hey, we won the election. We get to do whatever we want. We have power. Now we lord it over you. We understand how this works, right? This is the climate, not just in, in politics in our culture. This is everyone in authority looking to gain more authority so that they can be served. When you get to the top of a company, you're the CEO, it's easy to think, okay, well, I, you know, someone's going to get my coffee and do what I ask, and I get to do whatever I want. I can push people around. And this is pretty sweet. When we get a glimpse of power, it really reveals the character of our heart. Like, what are we all about when we get that first glimpse of, I can do whatever I want. This is awesome. We've experienced that in our house where the kids, now that we're, kids are old enough, where we leave them alone. It's fun to watch them as they kind of discover that dynamic. Like, it's just us. Who gets to push other people around? It's like where they're clamoring for that. It becomes Lord of the Flies in there because everyone's trying to, to get, the, get the power over their brothers or sisters. This is the climate in our culture. And Jesus says to his followers, yeah, I don't care if it works that way in your world. This is not how Jesus' followers work. This is not what Jesus' followers do. Not so with you. Instead, the way to greatness is to serve. The way to be first is to be last, to consider yourself last. Now, this is not kind of one of those falsely humble moments where we say, okay, you know, I'm going to be humble for a while. And then what Jesus is going to do is launch me to the top, right? Because of my humility, then he's going to put me in charge as like a reward. No, this is not an end. This is not a means to an end. It is the end. This is living a life that is humble. Godliness is humbly laying down your life to serve it is not a contradiction. It is not a contradiction as the disciples were so confused about. Well, clearly glory means over people. Messiah's not going to serve other people. He's going to be served. That contradiction they couldn't grasp. What Jesus is saying, this is not a contradiction. This is the way of God. This is humbly laying down your life for others. Is the way to godliness is the way to be close to the heart of God is to lay your life down to consider yourself last and to put others first and we think of all people Jesus the son of God should not be required to do that Jesus the son of God is the last one who should say well I'm going to humble myself if you've been following along with our scripture memory that we have been doing Philippians chapter 2 what we've been, this, these verses, they should be ringing the bell on you right now. And this is why we want to memorize scripture. So it's kind of ringing around in our mind. They're, the verses talk a lot about that. Our scripture memory that we have been talking about from Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This is what we're talking about today. This is what Jesus was teaching. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, when we read that, we kind of put our 
we kind of put a contradiction in there. I'll illustrate it with this. We have a, put the next slide up there. We have those verses, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Here's how we read that typically with kind of that contradiction thinking. How we read this is, in spite of the fact Jesus was God, he humbled himself. Okay, so we think, in spite of the fact that he was God, even though he had no business humbling himself, he humbled himself. That's that contradiction we think of. But that's not how the, the wording is worded. Read that again, and when you really study the original language, we read it wrong when we read it like that. Here's how we should read that verse. Because Jesus was God, he humbled himself. Because he was God, he humbled himself. In other words, it was not outside of the character of God to humble himself. Humility and service was not outside the character of God where it was this big contradiction. It is in the very nature, God, to humble himself, to lay down his life for others. Jesus, in the very nature, God, because he was God, did not consider equality with God something to say to others, I'm the son of God, you're all going to serve me and uh, do what I say. It was, I'm going to lay my life down for you as a way to show you what the heart of God is really about. Humble service. When we talked about Jesus speaking with authority, people were like, I've never seen that. When we talk about Jesus, the rule breaker, people were like, I have never seen that. This one probably was the most shocking. Jesus saying the heart of God is a humble servant. What? Who is this guy? What is he talking about? That's not how it works. But it's not a contradiction. It's who God is. It's who we are supposed to become as Jesus followers. Amen? It's who we are supposed to become. This is what we are working towards as we follow Jesus, as we grow in our faith. This part should be more and more evident of humility, service, putting others first. I love that it's, you know, he talks about this. It's, it's him as the Messiah. Obviously, the Messiah, he is, an, he is an object of worship. We follow Jesus, the Messiah. He is the, our ultimate authority. When we talk about people in our world, bosses or people in authority, there are people who have authority. But what Jesus is saying, for those people especially, if you have influence over other people, how great would it be to leverage that influence to come and serve them, to support them? We don't think like that. Maybe you have a boss that you work for and you're thinking, no, my boss doesn't do that. He needs to, I need to plan this sermon, <laughs> you know, next this week at work. Jesus is saying, people... Followers of Jesus don't need to look for ways to lord authority over, but rather serve under. And this is so needed in our world, right? Yeah. This is so needed in every area of our world to lift others up. Right. To lift others up. I, you know, there's awards shows and there's post-game interviews, and I love watching all of those. And my favorite thing is someone wins a Grammy or someone just won a championship or something. And my favorite thing is when they say, hey... I didn't do this by myself. And they, they lift others up. We couldn't have done this without this guy. We couldn't have done this without here. You know, some producer you've never heard of, they're like, we couldn't have done this without here. I love moments like that. We all know that feels way different than someone who's saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. We understand this, a story that will always make the local news. And this happened in Farmington a couple of years ago with the football team, the captains of the football team. I don't know if you remember this. They befriended a young student in the school who, who had severe physical needs, who was in a wheelchair, 
And the captains of the football team just saw him by himself and they started eating lunch with him and got to know him. And then they made him an honorary captain of the football team and they wheeled him out to the start of the football games. And this happened in Farmington and was on the news. And when you watch those stories, you know those stories, it's the, when you're watching a, a, a high school movie of some sort and the popular kid goes and befriends the nerdy kid at the table or whatever it is, those moments, what is it in us that causes us to be like, ah, oh, that's awesome. The, the, the football captain defriending the, the kid that nobody knows about or the kid who has every disadvantage. Why does that make the news and why does that cause us to be like, oh, that's awesome? Well, because A, we never really see that. Yeah. It stands out. But B is I think there's something that resonates in us because that is the heart of God. Yeah. That's the heart of God where God is saying, this is, this is what it means to be my followers. Yeah is to leverage what you have to lift others up. It's so refreshing. When, it's why it makes the news, those stories, because it is so foreign. But what it does in us is reveal the character of God. This is what Jesus is teaching. We see those stories and we think, boy, the world needs more of that, right? Even here in this sermon today, we think, boy, the world needs more of that. And I agree. The world needs more of that. So who's going to do it? Well, it should be the people who say they're following the guy who introduced this idea, and that's Jesus. The followers of Jesus should be the ones to say, okay, we're not trying to elevate ourselves. We are humbly laying our lives down. This is what the followers of Jesus need to do. This is what the world needs, and it's up to us to do it. Right? The followers of Jesus need to do this. What if people did this everywhere? What if every boss in the world who was a follower of Jesus decided, you know what, I'm not going to see my position of authority as something that I can get stuff from other people. I'm going to use this position of authority and leverage it to lift up other people, to lay my life down and serve other people. Now, this doesn't mean bosses all resign this week and say, I'm not in charge anymore, you know, it's a free-for-all. There's people who have authority. We understand that there are bosses and there are people who work for people in authority and most of us have people in authority and most of us have, you know, a lot of us have both people in authority over us and people under our authority works. I mean, even think about this in families, parents with kids in your workplace, whatever environment it is. If the people who have the authority and the influence leverage that and come under people and serve them to lift them up, if everyone's doing that. The world has changed. Just think about political leaders. I made a, you know, I was talking about this country's political climate. It really is pretty great in this country when you start comparing it to other parts of the world where if somebody wins an election in very, in a lot of other countries in the world, it is they are the ones that get everything and they exploit entire populations so that they can gain more and get more, right? But if every world leader said, I'm going to leverage my authority to come under, and come under and serve the people under my authority, if bosses did that, if families, parents with their kids did that, if everyone was doing that, husbands and wives were doing that, I'm going to humbly serve and lay my life down, that is a, that's a game changer. Yeah. That's a game changer. This is why Jesus was teaching this. Because following Jesus does not mean getting glory. Following Jesus does not mean getting authority to be able to push other people around. Following Jesus means that when we're exalted, we promote others. Following Jesus means we don't vie for the, the, the most important seat at the table, but we humbly serve, let other people take the most important seat at the table, find other ways to lift others up, to, to put um, attention and glory on others to lift others up when we are aggravated or challenged rather than being so quick to defend yourself be humble and defer 
when we it's this conflict that we have with our self and our flesh and our sin everything in our flesh pushes back against this and like no we're like the disciples who are like no 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 that doesn't sound so good when you're hearing this you're, you're like yeah i can do that and then you get home and somebody makes you mad and you're just like oh and your kids won't do what you say and you're like man why do they keep doing that it, uh, it's all that battle over yourself and your flesh and anytime you want to exert power or authority over, anytime you want to exploit somebody so that you can get something, it's that flesh and that sin that is rising up. It's that I deserve this. Yet humble preference of others is godliness. And that's going to be a constant friction for us as followers of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it all sounds good, but we know walking this out is a whole other deal. Yeah. Humbly serving we can't even get to work on a Monday morning without yelling at the driver next to us, you know, who's following too close behind, you know, all these things. It's a, it's a friction that's going to be an ongoing thing for us to walk this out. And when we do it, it's going to eat away at our pride and our self and our flesh. But when we have moments when it's eating away at our pride and our self and our flesh, we can just say, well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Because what are we supposed to do to our pride and our self and our flesh is die to it. Crucify those things. This is the best way to become more like Jesus. The first story I mentioned when Jesus or when Jesus is talking to Peter and Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And you shouldn't talk about laying down your life because that's not what's going to happen. You don't need to do that. You're the Messiah. You can do whatever you want. And Jesus' response to Peter is, get behind me, Satan. That feels kind of like a, an overstatement in that moment. Like, have you ever been in a, I remember this as like a kid growing up in elementary school and someone does something wrong and the first thing you think of is, what's the worst name I can call that person right now? And you're like, yeah, you're a whatever. And you think of it, this is not Jesus doing that to Peter. Like, the worst thing I can call you right now is Satan. You're Satan, Peter. This is not what's happening. I think what happened was this was no longer a moment between Jesus and Peter. This was a moment of temptation for Jesus to recognize what he was called to do and the temptation that Satan was going to bring to Jesus was agreeing with Peter. He's right, you know. You don't need to lay your life down. You don't need to follow God's plan. You don't need to humbly serve others. You can make a big deal of yourself. In that moment, Jesus was having a temptation moment. And he is saying, get behind me, Satan. I rebuke the temptation that is coming my way. And he says... Because you don't have in mind the things of God, you have in mind the things of man. The temptation for Jesus to follow the way of the world and to exalt himself and to lord over would have been great. He could have done it as the son of God. And he set that aside and said, get behind me, Satan. I am following the things of God. We need to walk this out more and more. How are you going to walk that out? With your family, in your workplaces, in your communities? in your relationships, in your relationship with God, how are you going to grow in Christ-likeness by laying down and serving? Whenever, and you'll notice this, whenever something in your life becomes about winning or pushing others around or exalting ourselves to positions of authority so that we can get what we want, anytime we see that, that's a get-behind-me-Satan moment. That's a, I'm not going to follow the ways of the world and give in to my flesh. I'm going to set aside the things of man and follow the ways of God. And we got to recognize that is not weakness. That's godliness. That is not weakness. That's godliness. And God is not weak. He is humble. So practically, how are you going to walk that out this week? I mean, there's a number of ways we can. So I want you just to think about that this week. How can I lay my life down for others? 
How can I humbly serve? How can I not make it about me getting things, not being first, but rather consider myself last as to elevate other people in your workplace, in your marriage, in your family? Anytime you, need, anytime you feel that angst and need to fight back, recognize that's the feeling when your flesh and your sin is being crucified and you're dying to yourself, and that's a good thing. Allow that to happen, and oh, it gets annoying at times, right? It, gets an, it is hard to do, and we all fail at times, and we don't do this perfectly, but this is the goal. This is the long road of obedience to Jesus, mm-hmm. is to lay down your life. How we glorify Jesus, how we honor Jesus, how we serve Jesus, is to model what he modeled for, or to live what he modeled for us. Whoever wants to be first must be last. Whoever wants to be served must serve. Whoever wants to be the greatest must be the servant of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to lay his life down. We get to do the same thing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for this uh, lesson that you taught your followers. And today we want to receive it. We want to receive that lesson. We want to learn how to walk in humility and love for others and laying down our lives. And there are times where we don't really know how that's going to work out as as bosses or as teachers or as parents or as kids or, or in, in marriages or friendships or how that works. But, Lord, we want to fix our eyes on you. And every time we want to push down that desire to make much of ourselves and to get something and to elevate ourselves, we want to die to that, crucify that, and follow you. Take up your character in our lives and humbly serve others. So, Lord, help us to do that. We ask for your blessing and your anointing over our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.